Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And welcome back to the Gallant Few Rangers podcast. I'm Colin McDuff and I'll be your host today. Joining me, as always, are the three pioneers of our own podcast. First of all, the superb Mr. Scott Hodge. Hi, Colin. How are you? I'm good, thank you. The podcast, Wise Old Head, keeping us youngsters in check. Ian, how are you doing? <laughs> Nothing else. Old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all right. Best stuff, but all right. <laughs> and... And the subject of seeing yet another summer, happy birthday to our very own Craig McAdam. Thank you. Head's a bit sore today. Yeah. Uh, wish you made that. <laughs> uh, at least uh, at least we made it in time. There wasn't another another delay through a hangover. So well done in that, Craig, and happy belated birthday from all of us the gallant few. So as we're still in this eternal lockdown, it's still very slow on the news front. So we're going back down a bit of a reminiscent route and we today we're going to be looking at players who we were quite upset or wrote off when they first signed or in the first few months of signing and we turned out to be completely wrong. Um, I think there's a few obvious ones in here uh, who most people would agree with but we'll start off with yourself, Kay McAdam. Which player did you get it completely wrong about? So I've gone for Mr. 7 out of 10. Um, when we were getting brought up and going to football training, we learned about the Cruyff turn that the kids in Bosnia learned about the Sasa shuffle. I've <laughs> 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 done for Papac. Um, so he first came in, so it's 2006, Paul Le Guin signed him. Um, so he was 450,000 from Austria-Vienna. Uh, something I'd forgot about was with Austria Vienna. Um, they'd won the league the year before that, and we signed Papac, Sionko, and Siebel. So we actually signed three other players that year. Um, Le Guin obviously brought him in as a, a centre-back, and the centre-back choice at that time were Papac, Svensson, Rodriguez, and Hindani. So that's starting to say, paint a picture of why it never worked out for Le Guin in Scottish football, I think. Um, Hindani was obviously a good player, but he was never a centre-half, was he? It was a bit mental playing him there. Uh, what I remember from that spell is just absolutely shiting at any time a ball went into our box. I mean, 
we were just so weak in the air. Uh, the season before, we had a pretty poor season, apart from the Champions League run, but at least we had uh, Marvin Andrews and Kyriakos, who were big guys that would go and win the ball. Um, so uh, it was a poor season, but it was two big, strong centre-halves, so it was quite a change when Ludwin came in. He was obviously going for a more technical style. Um, centre-halves that were footballers rather than just the centre-halves that you need to deal with Scottish football. Um, so I Papach was mainly brought in as a, a centre-back, um, and at the time we had Stephen Smith and Ian Murray as our, our left-back options. Uh, but I, that, it never really worked out for Papach to be in with, because he just wasn't a, a Scottish centre-back. Um, and he did get a wee spell at left-back as well, but it was never really Ligwen's first choice either for that, I don't think. Um, so he got off to a really slow start, and obviously Ligwen was having a poor season, so he was binned by just after Christmas, I think he went. And that's when Walter Smith came back in. So I think it sums up how poor the centre-back area was when Smith's first signings were Andy Webster, David Weir and Ekiog. So he clearly seen that there was a problem um, just defending balls into the box, really. Um, but when Smith came in, he still didn't fancy Papach to begin with. It was more towards the, the end of that season that he really got a run in the team. And that's when Smith started playing him as a, a left-back. And then that's when he really sort of came into his own. So... I, it just didn't convince me I was going to be a player, but he ended up staying for six years, came in 2006, left in 2012, made 227 appearances, scored seven goals, won the league three times, won the Scottish Cup twice and three times for the League Cup as well, and a UEFA Cup final appearance. So I think that's McAdam nil, Papach one, he's definitely proven me wrong there. Uh, and then after he left, he retired in 2012. But he's, he's been back a few times. He's played in a couple of Legends games, and I think he's done a wee bit of scouting over in sort of Croatia and Bosnia and that sort of area. So he's still seems to be um, close to the club. But I definitely answer. That's one I'll hold my hands up and say uh, I get that wrong. Because I think before Gwen, probably the only two successes we'll say from that would be Papach and Clement to a degree. But he obviously was only there for about six months, and then. Smith effectively swapped him out and brought in Thompson, really. Yeah, I think it's fair to say if you were being very harsh that Papach is the only success in terms of what he'd done for Angels from the Ligwen era. So, first question, when did you change your mind on Papach? It was probably towards the end of that season, I'd say, with Smith. Um, the whole Ligwen era, he just didn't fill me with any confidence at all. I was convinced He's one of the duds that, along with Siebel and everyone else, that would just be getting shot of. Um, so it was more when, as I say, when Smith came in, he wasn't even convinced by him. He didn't play him to begin with. It was a few months later before Smith actually gave him a run in the team. And that's when you could start to see, right, maybe there's a, a player here. I mean, he was, he was never absolutely superb, was he? He was just always solid and dependable. Must be 7 out of 10, as I said. Yeah, so... I'm going to come to Scott for this question because I'm quite biased in my thinking towards it. At the time, I was a massive fan of Stevie Smith. Uh, I thought he was the next up-and-coming Scottish defender. Uh, his The season before, when he played under McLeish, he, he was excellent. He was one of our standouts in a very poor side. Under Ligwen, he looked to be, he was going to be the first choice defender, but injury played him. Does Papach become the cult hero if Stephen Smith doesn't get injured? Sure. 
It's a hard one because I was quite impressed with Stevie Smith as well. He was obviously, I think we give younger players a bit more, a bit more leeway. You know what I mean? If they if they're not playing well every game, we can say, oh well, they're young. They'll develop. They'll develop into a good player. And it's, I think you need to do a nice balance with them as well. So you want to play. I think it'd be good to play Papach with Stevie Smith and you know some lesser games or whatever and you've got a good blend of experience and, and things like that so I think um, Stevie Smith's career just never took off at Rangers uh, but obviously that's helped us have such a consistent and as you say 7 out of 10 left battle at Papach coming in which I think we're all happy with so I think, I'd, I think we're a bit harsh he's a cult hero you know he done Everything right, everything that was asked of him, you know what I mean? That, and I feel as though Cult Hero is a bit harsh on him. Alright, so what, does he go more towards icon or legend status for you? Get him a statue, that's what I say. Statue? <laughs> Probably the, the wrong climate to start talking about statues, so we'll move swiftly on for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> before the pod gets shut down before the fourth episode. <laughs> so, Ian. Come to you because you've seen a lot more greater Rangers players than, than I. So I think as Rangers fans, we can be overly critical and probably overly harsh. Scott mentioned it there on decent players, you know, because we were kind of spoiled for choice and spoiled for success for the for between the nineties right up until uh, two thousand twelve. There was a tendency to only focus on the players that were doing the amazing stuff week in, week out, and the flair players and the the proper in your face passionate. It took a took a while for fans to really start appreciating what Sasa Papach was doing every week, that seven out of ten. Am I being am I being a bit too over the top and saying he's maybe changed Rangers fans' way of thinking in terms of appreciating people who do the dirty work, the simple stuff? Uh, I don't know if he's changed our, our, our thoughts on that. I think if you look back at our good teams uh, over the years, I think you've always got that one player who we probably lack just now, who's always just really consistent, always at 7 out of 10 every week. You know he's never going to let you down. You know, Guys like Stuart McCall who done the dirty work, um, like Barry Ferguson to an extent, he never really let you down. He was always that consistent seven or more. We don't really have that now. Um, I can't guarantee who, like you, you know, you're going to guarantee it's going to be a seven in the team right now. It's uh, it's hard. Like it's he's probably the most prominent recent example of a 7 out of 10 example but you're right there probably was always players there and we've just not you know maybe appreciated them or noticed them yeah do you think um, he would get in the team just now or could you see him like being a part of so his style of play it just goes not like I don't feel, I think it fits like Gerard's mentality and things but do you think there would be a place for him in the team nowadays Craig no, I'd say he's probably a bit old for it, Scott. He's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a bit grumpy with a hangover, okay, yeah. That's... He's, he's quite different to, uh, obviously, Barisic just now, isn't he? Barisic is a lot more technical and 
and deliver the balls into the box and that sort of thing. That was never really Papac's game. Um, Papac was always, you could always kind of tell he was playing slightly out of position, um, but it definitely didn't stop him, didn't it? He still managed to get up and down the pitch, and as I say, creator of the Sasa shuffle, he managed to do a few throwbacks and get the ball in the box. Um, so I, 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 that sort of player I would take in the team just now. Um, obviously Barisic is a lot more, more technical, um, so it's... It's both sort of dependable left backs, isn't it? Yeah. What well, where where would you rate them in the past, say, twenty years in terms of left backs? Like, is it top five? You would you say? Or like, I mean, obviously we've been blessed with Newman. Yeah, it's probably I'd say Newman's probably your number one. Papac could be two, I would say. Especially if you look, as I said, so he won eight trophies in a UEFA Cup final appearance over that spell. So. He was a big part of Walter Smith's three in a row success. Um, so he's definitely, I, I would, I would rate him behind Newman. I'd say. I think it's what we need to remember as well. The, Walter Smith's second spell. That's the only, that's the only team in the last twenty years who have been properly built to be hard to beat. And first and foremost, you know, that's that was Smith's ethos the second time, hard to beat and. You know, defend first, be solid and consistent, and Papac just fitted that mould. Um, I'm not going to take it away from him, but I think you see a different Papac if he goes into a McLeish team or a Gerrard team. Uh, yeah, but I think in saying that, in the absolute flip side, I think we're unfair in terms of talking about him not being that forward thinking. His first full season. Oh, sorry, his first full season under Smith, the the Manchester run, that's that's some of the best defensive displays you'll ever see with some by a Scottish side and Papach was a big part of that. And that's how we've always thought of him. But the the two, three years later, he was very forward thinking. He got only seven goals, but he played a played a big part in a lot of assists and getting the ball up. He I think he turned into a more marauding fullback than what we give him credit for. I loved the goal against St. Johnson, didn't he? He scored quite a few goals against him for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> that was his team. Last question in Papach, Craig. Your favourite Papach moment, if you have one. Probably not the moment, but the image I always think of, is of Papach is the picture of when we won in Fiorentina. You probably already know what image I'm talking about. It's quite iconic, isn't it? When he's standing up at the fans, he's, he's got the Papach five and back his jersey and he's got his arms up in the air. That's a sort of iconic Papach image I always think of. When I, and he took a penalty in, that, in the shootout as well, didn't he? So he did. in um, the cup finals as well against Dundee United, I'm sure he took a penalty in that. So he'd always step up. Um, just Mr. Dependable, isn't he? Uh, yeah. uh, Rumour has it that image is actually Lionel Messi's phone screensaver. Can't <laughs> 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 hear first. So, Ian, we'll move on to yourself. Which player did we sign who you were completely wrong about? I have gone for Sonny Aluko. Uh, we signed him in November 2011. This was. Four, five months after he had left Aberdeen, so you'd think if a player's decent, if he's released by a club, he's going to be snapped up before November. But Sonny Aluko wasn't. He had 
a rumoured trial at Juventus. Um, not sure how much truth there is in that, but uh, it's, it's what it says. <laughs> it's out there. <laughs> um, but, do you know what? For me, he just he, he wasn't an absolute standout player at Aberdeen. He's, he wasn't one of these players who's like tearing up the SPL and you're thinking, no, oh, we need to sign him. Because if, we, if he was like that, we'd have signed him in the July rather than November. And you know, the, the only thing I can remember him for at Aberdeen was he scored a, a goal against Bayern Munich. And I think that was like what, the, the best thing he ever done at Aberdeen. And I looked up his stats. <laughs> at Aberdeen, he scored 13 goals in 127 games. And then he came to us and he scored... 12 goals and 23. So, in 104 games less, he scored one less goal, which is why I've been proved absolutely wrong on him. He scored 12 goals in 23 games, one and two, and he wasn't even playing centre forward because we had Jelovic that season as well. Well, some of it. I remember, I think the first time I ever heard of Oluko was that goal against Bayern Munich, which was, did Aberdeen not draw with Bayern Munich that night? I'm sure it was two each, um, and that's the first memory I've got of Oluko. Um, he was brilliant when he came into us, because I remember that season, we were fairly, it, it was a difficult season, wasn't it? And he was probably the main driving force, the thing that kept us going, and like his old firm goal at Ibrox, um, we won that 3-2 that day, didn't we? But that was, you still see clips of that goal all the time, it was brilliant. Definitely, yeah. I think um, he was quite underappreciated, wasn't he? In terms, of, I think we didn't ex- we didn't have high expectations when he'd coming in again. You know, he's he's, he's been released from Aberdeen. You're thinking, this is just, you know, somebody to make up the numbers. But he did. The stats you said, Ian, great impact, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, for MD not, like, we could do a, a player like that this now. Like, 12 goals in 23 games from someone who's not your centre forward is a brilliant return. Yeah, that's exactly what the team is now missing, isn't it? Um, you can get those goals from Kent and Hadji and make a big difference this season. Yeah. Um, he also popped up with quite a few free kicks as well, then. Ian, was there not something about him paying for his own transfer fee, have I made that up? No, that's true. Um, Aberdeen were due a development fee because he had been at them uh, when he was young. And Rangers, we were reluctant to pay that because we were skint. So it turned out that he paid it himself, just like kind of the same scenario as Michael Ball. Um, so yeah, he was obviously keen to play for us. When you pay 150 grand out of your own pocket, it pretty much endears you to the fans right away, doesn't it? Aye, absolutely. That's one way to get a bit of goodwill, and nobody can really question his, his motivation to be there. If he's paying that amount of money, then he obviously wants to be there. And it, it probably, as a fair to say, it probably was one of the, the kind of standouts in a, in a pretty grim season, do you think? Definitely. Absolutely. I, th- I think the thing he'll always be remembered for most is that goal against Celtic, where what, picks it up just inside their half, makes Mulgrew look like a the bad defender he is, sticks it through on his legs, 
beats the defender on the edge of the box, and then he's he's calm enough to get a wee dink over Foster. So, aye. it's a tremendous goal. Uh, I was in the club deck for that game, and I, you all know I'm terrified of heights, and I was at the very very front. And every time I stood up, I'd go like a rush to to my head. In fact, I'm pretty sure I was hungover as well, so I <laughs> you know, I don't have the same. Oh, like, it's still a good day. I don't have quite as fond memories uh, of that game as everybody else. Craig, I'll come to you for this one. So there's no point in asking would he have made a difference a year after because we were in the third division. Obviously, it would have made a difference. What I'd like to get your thoughts on, the year before, Walter Smith's last season, we did win the league and the League Cup. Successful season. We got to the last 16 of the UEFA Cup. And we were kind of pretty lucky to get third place in that group, from what I remember. So, if you look at that team, we didn't really have any natural wide players. We the, the summer before, we got rid of Beasley and Natural Novo. Would someone like a local have made a difference in Europe? I think he probably would have, because uh, sort of, that was the season that Greg Wilde kind of came into the team, wasn't it? And he was playing in the left. Um, yeah. He obviously started quite well for us and had a good run in the team, but he never really turned out to be the player that we're expecting, whereas a local would give you a good bit more than what he would have. Um, so it was obviously a successful season, but in, in terms of Europe, um, I enjoyed that European campaign because I went over to Valencia and watched his get a doing. Then I was in Lisbon as well when Edu scored the equaliser right at the end. Yeah. And then I was to Eindhoven as well that season, and that was the, the 0-0 game, uh, I think. Was it an away goal we went out on? Was it one each at Ibrox? And then 0-0 no, no away? No, it was, it was nothing each away and then they won one nothing at Ibrox. Is that what it was? Yeah. So you wonder if a like a local could have just gave us that extra wee spark to, to get us into the next round. Um, but it was still a successful season. But we, we definitely could have used them then. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I think I'm cautioning it still is, uh, to try and criticise that season. You know, <laughs> winning a League and Cup double, you can't really complain about that, uh, considering what's happened the last few years. So, moving on to player number three, and I'll take this one, boys. I'm actually bringing no other than Kenny Muller to the table. So, this is Kenny Muller in his second spell when Walter Smith signed him in 2008, I'm sure. So, I can't remember too much of his first spell at Rangers. Uh, my first memories of Kenny Muller is as a Wolves and Scotland striker. He was a decent enough player for Wolves when they were in the Championship, but never really made any impact in the Premier League. And for Scotland, he infuriated me. I always remember thinking he was a bit of a bottle merchant in front of goal. He had the work rate there, but he can never finish. And you know, young and naive at the time, I always thought, "What's the point in having a striker that can't he finish?" I, I was never a fan of fan of him at all. And then, moving on for that, he signed for Celtic, and so his estimation went to went for rock bottom to minus. Um, he scored seven goals in thirty odd appearances for Celtic. It, it wasn't great. He won the league that year, but Scotland Rangers were rotten. Scored against Rangers, and but I still wasn't impressed with him. I remember my thought at the time was like, that's how bad we are if Kenny Miller scoring against us. After one year at Celtic, he went to Derby, who were in the Premier League, and he was woeful again. Four goals in 30-odd games, and, you know, that's, I couldn't see any benefit for anybody taking somebody like Kenny Miller. 
if we look at the summer of 2008, like most Rangers fans, I would have been really hopeful. We've just got to the UEFA Cup final. Uh, we were inches away from winning the, the league and inches away from winning the quadruple, actually. It's not fair to say. I'm expecting big summer signings. Uh, I'm expecting an assault in the Champions League. That's, that's where I was wanting Rangers to go. If you look at the strikers we lost that summer, John claude Darchwell and Daniel Cruzan, both really, really talented strikers. We were left with Chris Boyd and Nacho Novo, that kind of off-the-bench striker. So you can imagine my, my dismay when we signed Kenny Miller. I, I couldn't understand it. I thought that was what Smith was in the plot. He was one pissy bed away from going in a retirement home. That was my thoughts on it. Um, could they see the benefit of bringing in a striker who, who can score goals? But then when Kenny Miller came into the team, ultimately I, I was proved wrong. He's not remembered as that much of a goal scorer, but he still managed to get 49 goals over two and a half seasons. I think he he's just under one and two for that spell. But out with the goals, he he was a perfect partner for Chris Boyd. He's everything we spoke about earlier on, which he was known for. I, I started to see the benefit of what he brings to a team. You know, he done all the dirty work for Chris Boyd to get the 30 odd goals a season. He's link up play, he's running, he's tacking back. He, he was phenomenal the first couple of years. Uh, uh, oh, not the first couple of years. He was phenomenal in that second spell. And I'm pretty sure the the half season he played before he went to, was it Buzz Sport or something I swore? I can't remember what team they went to, but he got 19 goals between August and, De- and December. Uh, Jelovic was injured, but we didn't miss Jelovic because Muller was on fire. He definitely proved me wrong. I think a big a big uh, shout-out to Walter Smith uh, for having that I don't care what anybody else thinks attitude because I wasn't alone and not being happy with Kenny Muller coming. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. A lot of people couldn't see past that he played for Celtic. Walter Smith knew that, but he had his vision and he thought, I'm the guy and I'm going for it. Uh, so I think I, I was proved 100% wrong with Kenny Miller. Any thoughts on Kenny Miller's second spell, Craig? I think you pretty much summed that up right. Um, 
I remember the whole stadium and me being part of it, singing you can stick your Kenny Miller up your arse when he was getting linked with us at first. Um, obviously, went to the dark side, scored that goal in the, in the old firm, and I think all the Rangers fans, or the vast majority anyway, that didn't want to see him back. They didn't think what he went on to achieve. Like that three-in-a-row spell, he was a, a big part of it. Um, big goals against Celtic, you can think of him scoring at Easter Road up at Pataudry, so it was all big moments he um, would, would step up, um, especially at the nine-man cup final against St Mirren, getting that winner. Um, so it's all big moments that you could count on him to step up and produce. Um, I think it's, as well what you said about the Boyd partnership, how, how many goals would Boyd got if Kenny Miller wasn't there. He was always doing the, the hard work when Boyd was taking the glory, wasn't he? Um, but I think everything you said there is pretty fair. And he, he is a, a good example of somebody that we weren't happy about signing, but when you look back on it, he achieved so much for us, didn't he? Scott, that's a good point that Craig made there. So I, I was quite critical of Kenny Miller not having that striker's in, instinct or being a, a ball merchant in front of goal, but Craig just uh, had a few examples there. Goals at Parkhead, Easter Road, the cup final, where he was playing up front himself uh, for the bigger games. I think Chris Boy came out and said that, that for the bigger games he was happy to go on the bench because he knew Kenny Miller was the right man to play up front himself. And he, he scored on big occasions. Is this something that maybe he didn't get enough credit for earlier in his career or did something just click at Rangers for him, do you think? I think he uh, does a, a really... You can't thank him enough the amount of running he'll do for the team. And I think I um, listened to an interview with him and it's like he does go under the radar, but the amount of work he puts in is work rate and... You know, as you, the point you made, Chris Boyd getting all the goals. How many would he have got without you know, uh, without Kenny Miller? It's, I think I always I think I was the same as you. I just thought how average is this signing? He's not going to light up the world. But then I think everybody was proved wrong on how how good he was. Um, he's, he's never been a prolific striker. I think that's the, the main point. But he scores big goals. I think his composure. I always remember the Scotland team at that time as well. He was leading the line against the likes of Italy and France, you know what I mean? Big, big teams. And, you know, he, he, he never, he didn't really put a bad, you know, he never really put a bad performance in the, the big games. He never, I can't really think of a game since he's had an absolute stinker. Like, you know, if he's not going to play well, he'll still chase, he'll still chase, you know, right for the full end of the game. So, he's just a great player to have in your team, I think. Ian, you, you would have you would have remembered Kenny Miller's first spell a lot more than than me. I can't remember at all. Do at that point in time, did you see him going on a heavy Rangers career that he did have, or did you think that was somebody that we'd never see again, or never really? Did you see him having a decent career after he left Rangers the first time? Aye, uh, it was it was always a good player. The, the thing that stood out in his first spell was the five goals in one game. Uh, I don't know if you remember that, but he scored five in one game, um, which I think was a record at the time, like equaled the record at the time with Negri. Um, but you could, he's one. He was a weird player though. Like if you says to me, right, Kenny Miller one on one with the goalkeeper and there's no defender in sight, I'd be like, no, stick six defenders in, please, and and I'd 
expect him to score. But one on one, he was one of the guys that if he had time to think, he, he overthought it and he missed. Whereas you get like an instant reaction shot and it's much more likely to go in for him. But I did expect him to have a better career than he did. Um, for me, he had a good setting spell with us. And see when we signed him the third time, although he had that good setting spell, I didn't want him back. Like, I've never been his biggest fan, because like I say, like, given a, a one-on-one, he was never prolific. Uh, he was never a prolific striker. For me. Yeah, I think... Um... I think that's probably what I, I was touching on it, like when he played for Celtic in Scotland. All the chances you see them scuff were what you'd think simple chances or chances where he had had the opportunity to take his time. But when he came back a second spell, a lot of his goals came from either snapshots or just instinctive hit the ball and didn't have any time to think about it. I was the exact same as you. I didn't want him back for the first spell and I think I think if we look at Kenny Miller's third spell or Rangers career overall, that's a completely different podcast. That's a, we could spend a long time arguing back and forth. But I remember at the time thinking that's that's not what we that's not what we need because the big thing with Kenny Miller for the second spell for me was his work rate and his pace, and he didn't have that. But um, I think I think we can all agree that his second spell definitely was a success and. You know, if MD wants to argue that, Kenny Miller can just say, well, shows your medals, here's mine. And <laughs> you can't, can't really argue when somebody says that. So, Scott, we'll come to you to round us off. What player were you unhappy about and why were you wrong? Well, I, I'll probably be the the one that was the, the most strong out of all of us. Mine was Sir Davy Weir and... Um, when he signed, we were back on the MSN days. And Craig, could you help me out about what my we tagline was? <laughs> I remember us still being in, we were still in school then. Uh, we were sitting beside each other in class when it got announced. And I remember you being fuming about it. And you went home that night and made your MSN status. Fuck's sake, is Rangers are retirement home now? <laughs> <laughs> How wrong you How wrong I was. So, it was... Coming on 37 when we signed him, and he played 162 games, I believe. Which is incredible, isn't it? He could probably still be playing just now about how good he was. So We touched on earlier with your point, Craig. We were, we were scared. Like the defence was probably the worst you know, we've, we've seen it in, in top flight anyway. It was, you know, he had Svensson and the I just thought we had to, to do a, a lot better, but I didn't see the immediate steady ship for six months, and it's exactly exactly what you needed him for. I guess I didn't really follow his career beforehand. The only thing that really stuck out for me was that when Scotland played Faroe Islands, and he was part of that team, and just everybody got rolled off that game, like ruined so many people's career that game. So I guess that I just had a bad taste in my mouth. When I when I heard about that, and obviously Uko, uh, Ugo Ekiog coming in, just obviously old, but you know they done the job. Asked of them, so how wrong I was. But um, basically, 
you know, you think back to the 07-08 season, he made 60 appearances then. He was obviously, he was, he was playing alongside Carlos Cuella that season as well. And I think he really developed him into a top class player as well. And obviously Cuella went on to the to the um, to the Premier League and had a really successful career. And um, you just wish you'd had him ten years before it. And I think you know he would have went down as with. I think he is viewed as you know one of the best centre halves we had ha- we have had, and certainly in recent times. But I think if we'd have had him, you know, even a you know, five, ten years before it, it went down with the likes of, of Goff and, and Butcher and that sort of terms of, you know, Rangers centre-half. It was just obviously the twilight twilight years. So that is probably the, the biggest one that I could ever imagine that I got wrong. So, Scott, when when did you change your mind in David Weir? Was this as soon as he started playing? or Because I, the reason I asked that, I remember being... Happy that we signed him initially as a stopgap, but then being quite quite concerned when we kept him on that summer as well, and we gave him like a two-year contract. That that said to me that Smith seen him as a long-term centre back, and I was quite unhappy with that. Were you? When did you change your mind? I think as the as the performances get better, I, I, I sort of changed my mind. It wasn't necessarily Davy Weir, and I think. When we, we extended his contract, I was in the view we'll bring in some players and he'll just be there. Good influence, maybe coach the younger players, you know what I mean? He'll step in when needed. So I'd, I'd probably say I changed my mind. With, you know, I know that's quite a, a vague answer, but when the defence got a lot more solid, you know, it's, it changed my mind then. It's, you think of the overall picture of the defence. You know, we talked about, you know, in previous ones about, you know, the influence that maybe Goldson has at the moment. Obviously, it's completely different. Uh, different players, but you know the, the influence he had in full defence had a had an impact. So just on that, that influence, because I think that's a really good point. So Ian, for even if we look at the Manchester season or the season after, we had Sasa Papach still playing out of position. You know, he, he grew he grew into the left back position. So that was a centre back playing left back. On the other side, we had Kirk Bird, who, who we can all agree was a, an average player who was probably punching above the, his weight. Do they go on to have as good a time at Rangers without somebody like David Weir controlling that defence? I don't think so. I think if you look at every player that David Weir played with, uh, any defender that was there when David Weir was there, was probably when they played their best football. Um, if you look at Queller, he was absolutely immense that Manchester season. I don't think he ever lived up to that when he went down south. Uh, Bouguera as well was excellent when he was playing with Weir. And then Danny Wilson. Like, basically, Davy Weir got him a move to Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, but I, I, I think MD who played with Davy Weir in that defence played their best football. And I, I do think that his influence and you know, being... 37, and we said, again, I said this before, Like I think that he's exactly the type of guy we need uh, right now. Just that guy who, who's been there, done it, done everything, and knows everything. I mean, he was 37, as you said, and he was slow, but there was not one time you remember Davy Weir getting absolutely destroyed by a striker. 
he was just so smart and knew where to be and just like as I, I wish we had had him sooner. On that, on knowing where to be, I remember an interview with Paolo Maldini talking about tackling, and Maldini said, if I need to make a tackle, I've already made a mistake. And I never really understood it until I seen David Weir, just, that he have pace, he wasn't even that the strongest, he was decent in the air, but he was always in the right place at the right time, and that's just something that you can't teach. Second, with the, the kind of influence side, Craig, does he get enough credit for uh, how good a captain he was? The reason I ask that, when we think about Rangers captains, the first two that spring to mind in recent time are Richard Goff and Barry Ferguson. And even if you look at Barry, you know, he was a kind of in-your-face shouter. Um, you know, the very arms moving, screaming at everybody, getting them motivated. David Weir was a completely different type of captain. But to me, he was still a really, he was a great captain. But does he get enough credit or... You know, is is he right there? I mean, uh, the amount of products he gets as a captain. I think on the pitch he was more a sort of lead by example kind of guy. You didn't really see him shooting the ball in on the pitch, uh, but I think definitely off the pitch he would have been the stories about him having. I think it was Kyle Lafferty up at Pataudry having him pinned against the wall, Des Mick, um, just because he was wasn't pulling his weight. So he definitely had that side to him. Um, so I, I think it would be quite. In terms of that spell from being the captain, I think people would look back at him as a as a good captain because we achieved so much then. And I know Ferguson was captain for some of it, but the amount of leagues we won, cups we won, the Manchester run. When we signed David Weir, I touched on it earlier from my patch points, just how weak the central defence was. David Weir was exactly what we needed. Just somebody to come in, get us organised and just go and put his head in the ball, defend, do the sort of basic stuff right. Um, he probably thought he would be doing well to play 20 times for Rangers, and he went on to play how many games? It's ridiculous. Uh, and Walter Smith just had so much trust in him. He played him, I can remember towards the end under McCoy State, he got a couple of injuries and wasn't really in the team, but under Smith, I can't really remember a spell of him being out. He played almost every game. Uh, I even remember down at the, when we played at the Emirates Cup, um, I think we played PSG on the Saturday and Arsenal on the Sunday, and he played David Weir for the full 90 minutes in both games. So it just shows how amazing it was that he was able to cope with that level. I know it was only pre-season, but still back-to-back 90 minutes to, against two big teams. So I think David uh, Walter Smith just had so much trust in him, and he's a huge part of that success that we had. And Scott, probably stating the obvious here, when Craig mentioned leading by example, there'll be a, a massive element of leading by example, his professionalism, you know, even even if we look at something as basically looking after his body, he played he played top five football until he was forty two. Then that's that's some achievement, isn't it? And that must have been that must have been brilliant coming through as a Danny Wilson or a John Fletcher Sunday and seeing somebody old enough to be your dad, like captain and Rangers at a decent level. Absolutely, absolutely. It's um, it's it's amazing. And as you say, playing playing to that age. He, he, he looked at it and as you said, he played so much football, like two games back to back. It's just, it's just incredible, and it just shows you everybody. I guarantee you that the likes of, you know, Danny Wilson still has that influence and the advice they gave him to look after, the, you know, their body and how they can prolong their, their career. I mean, I'd imagine he, he, he outdone his own expectations playing to that age as well. 
and such a high such a high standard as well. It's not as if he's dropping down to lower leagues. You know, he was playing at the very top level. Absolutely. So I don't think uh, I'd be very surprised if we have MD MD that argues David Weir wasn't a success at Rangers. So good shout. Uh, so that that will wrap us up for today. Then all that's left to do is thank you to everybody who's listened so far. This show will be available on Acast and Apple, as are the other four shows that we've recorded over the last three, four weeks. So feel free to go back and listen to any that you've missed. And all that's left to do is thank my three co-hosts. First of all, Scott Hodge. Nice calling. Craig McAdam. Good boys. Last but not least, Ian McCready. Always a pleasure. Thanks very much, boys, and thanks for listening. Take care. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.